Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 12 down through verse number 15. Let's begin reading together in verse number 13. I'll begin reading in verse number 12, and then we'll read verses 13 and 15 out loud together. The Bible says in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not uh, let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Together, verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Verse 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. The title of the sermon is this. It's your presence I need. Let's pray. Lord, as I've been praying all morning long and really all week long, Lord, just take over my mouth and guide my words and help the sermon today to touch hearts and, Lord, to uh, remind us what really matters in life. I pray this sermon would be a reset button for many. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, for those of you who've grown accustomed to my preaching style over the last two plus years, today's sermon is going to be quite different than most. I'm not going to give you an outline this evening, or rather this morning. Um, I don't know that there will be a lot of notes for you to take. As I came to this passage and I began to read it and pray over it, I felt the leading of God's Spirit to try and preach right to your hearts this morning. For some here, you are already living what I will preach. I do believe that for most of you here, in theory you know what I will preach in your head, but it is not something that is lived out consistently in your heart and in your life. I hope the message today stirs you and pushes you to take a spiritual journey that will be life-changing. There may be a few of you listening in today that will find this sermon strange or odd. If this is you, then I would say that you need to really evaluate your understanding of who God is. You see, we connect to God not through a set of rituals. We we don't connect to God through church attendance. We don't connect to God through our traditions. We connect to God like He is a person through a personal, one-on-one relationship. Has anybody noticed that religion is dying in America? You know why? Because religion is dead. God does not want you to have religion. He wants you to have a relationship. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it just a title that we give ourselves? You see, the first Christians didn't self-label themselves Christians. They were living in such a cleaned-up way that others looked at them and said, boy, that, those folks are acting like little miniature versions of Christ. Because of their behavior, because of their love and generosity that was peculiar, they were given the title of Christian. Now, when it comes to God's presence, we find three different people in the Bible that pushed away from it. When I began preparing for the sermon this week, I began in Genesis chapter 3. And I was going to build a whole sermon around Genesis chapter 3 with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And I felt God moving me away from Genesis 3 and into Exodus 32 and 33. I think you'll understand why as we get into the sermon here. But by way of introduction, there are three people in the Bible that pushed away from the presence of God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, we find Adam and Eve. They had just eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they heard God coming. So what did they do? They had committed sin. They were used to fellowshipping with God. They had lost that fellowship with God. So when God's presence came around and there was sin present in their life, they went and they hid from God's presence, Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. By the way, that's exactly what we do when sin is evident in our life. It may be here that you don't have a strong walk with God because there is sin in your life and you're more in love with your sin than you are the Savior. What happens when we love sin more than the Savior? We run and we hide from God. And we don't want to have anything to do with God. We may love Him at a distance, but boy, we sure don't want to see the one that makes us feel convicted and guilty over our sin. Well, I said there were three people or three instances in the Bible of people pushing away from God's presence. You guys know the story in Genesis 4 about Cain killing uh, uh, Abel, right? Everybody here familiar with that story? Cain killed his brother and God confronted him over that. And what did uh, Cain do? Did Cain confess his sin? Did Cain apologize for what he'd done and cling to God? No. Cain pushed away from God when God was trying to come after him and correct him. And as a result, Cain would, uh, would not just uh, hide from God, he would despise the presence of God. Genesis chapter 4 verse 16 says this. It says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. One of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Cain saw that God was trying to reach down and restore him after he had murdered his brother. And Cain said, my punishment is too great for me to bear. And he turned his back and he left God's presence. Then we come to Jonah. We know the story of Jonah and the whale, right? Even if you're just a casual churchgoer, you've heard the story. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah says, I don't like those people. I ain't doing it. And Jonah got, uh, went down to the, um, to the ticket office and he bought a ticket going to Tarsus, the opposite direction. And he got in the boat and he went away from where God had told him to do. 
God sends a gigantic storm. And Joan is asleep in the, in the belly of the ship, soon to be uh, alive in the belly of a fish. But he's asleep in the belly of the ship, and the storm is just rocking this boat. How many sleep really good when it's raining outside? Uh-huh. Boy, he was really sleeping while it was raining outside. It was raining outside. And the ship is tossing to and fro, and, and uh, they're, they're worried about capsizing and, and the boat tipping over. And, and Jonah comes up, and, and he says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm God's uh, prophet, and I fear God, but I'm running from him. And verse 10 of Jonah 1 says, then, the, uh, then were the men, these are the men on the boat, exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He had fled from the presence of the Lord. So Adam hid from God's presence, Cain ran from God's presence, and Jonah fled from God's presence. Now, interestingly enough, in, all, in almost every instance in the Bible where someone's pushing away from the presence of God, boy, God really works to restore that. He really works to to chase that person down and reconcile with that person. And i got to say, I am so glad that God does that. How many times have I foolishly ran from God's presence? Aren't you glad that when you run from God's presence, He pursues you? He comes looking for you. He leaves the ninety and nine. And He comes and gets you and brings you back to the fold. Aren't you glad that God's grace has reached down time and time again and gone and gotten you and you have fled from the presence of the Lord? Don't throw stones at Jonah. Don't throw stones at Adam and Eve. Because we have all done the same thing. Have you ever seen someone push past their limits? I think back to um, grade school. Seeing a little kid get bullied. Even being a teacher and watching a little kid get picked on and pushed on. And usually it's the kid who is tolerant and can take it on the chin and just kind of smile and laugh and not, not do anything back. And he kind of becomes a punching bag, if you will, for everybody else. i got some school teachers in the room and they're nodding their head. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And then, you know, there is that day, usually in like the middle of March or April, where the kid's just like, I can't take it anymore! And then he retaliates. And he, you know, he's been getting verbally hit all year, and so finally he just, he actually physically hits somebody. He's just sick of it. Gets pushed past, a child gets pushed past their limits. Uh, maybe you have a coworker at work who's the butt of all the jokes. And they're constantly getting it from everybody. And they're getting it from all directions. And eventually they just, explode on everybody. Maybe you have seen a husband or wife get pushed past their limit. And they take extreme measures. Well, God, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites pushed God past His limits. They pushed God to a point where God said, Yep, I am done with Israel. I'm done! 
I don't want to have anything to do with these people anymore. Yes, I selected Abraham, and I loved Abraham, and I walked with Abraham. We'll talk about him more tonight in the sermon. And then Isaac was born, and we had an okay relationship. And then along came Jacob, and there was a struggle there. And he pushed away from me, and I brought him back, and he pushed away, and I brought him back. And then he had 12 sons, and some of those children were awful. Other ones were great, and the relationship there was dicey. And then into Egypt they went, and and their hearts were wandered from me, but yet I loved them and I delivered them out of Egypt and here I am walking them to their promised land and I'm done. I'm through. I've had enough. I don't want to have anything else to do with these people. Boy, I sure don't want that to happen to me. Where I push God past His limits with my sin and God just says, I'm done. You can go on and live Live your life without me. I'm not saying that a person loses their salvation, but I'm just saying that God's hand of blessing is drawn back a little bit. And God says, you want to neglect me? Well, then maybe I'll just let sin have its way in your life. Maybe you can see what it's like to not have me pour down my blessings on you each and every day. How How did Israel get there? How did Israel get to a place where God checked out? Well, let's look at that. Turn over to Exodus chapter 29 and verse number 30, uh, for, uh, rather 43. And here they're, they're getting ready to build the tabernacle, or I guess they're in the midst of building the tabernacle, and God is just so excited. This tabernacle is going to get built. In fact, go ahead and put that picture up there for me, and that's going to be up there a good chunk of the sermon. Some of you, this may be a first time seeing this, That is how Israel walked through the wilderness. That's how God had them laid out. What's that look like, folks? Isn't that amazing? Now, they didn't know they were in the shape of a cross. And if they did know they were in the shape of a cross, they didn't know what a cross was, because Roman crucifixion wouldn't come around for thousands of years later. But God in heaven, as he put them in in that order, um, he knew what he was doing. And right in the center of the cross is where the tabernacle was placed. God dwelt in the middle of His people. That picture is going to stay up there for most of the sermon. As that tabernacle is getting completed. Look at verse 43. There I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify... The tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Look at the intimate love language in verse 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. Look here. I am the Lord their God. I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen to a sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago entitled, The Rules 
that relationships bring. And in that sermon, I talked about that God created Adam and Eve because He wanted to have fellowship with His creation. Sin broke that relationship. And so, what is the cross about? The cross is about restoring that relationship that God so desires to have with each and every one of us. It is vitally important that God have a spiritual intimacy with me and you. It is vital to Him. It is it is at the core of the center of the passion of who God is. And here this tabernacle is nearing completion and God says, I will be their God. Oh my goodness. The love between God and His people at this moment, at this place, was intense. You read on down and you can see the people loving back on God and saying they're going to be faithful to Him and they're going to love Him and they appreciate Him. Now, mind you, this is right on the heels of God parting the Red Sea and and, and, and bringing them out of captivity. This is right on the heels of them coming to the, the, the twelve wells and having water to drink and the water at Marah being uh, uh, made from bitter to sweet. And then they come a little bit further and they're thirsty and they complain. And God has Moses strike a large rock and water comes pouring out to supply water for well over a million people. Probably upwards of three million people water is given to out of a dry rock. I'll just throw this out here real quick. It's not part of my sermon. There is a really interesting video you can find on YouTube where they have discovered the location where Mount Sinai is. They have found the rock that was split open. They have found the wells that Israel went to. They have found a place that is a natural bridge right under the Red Sea where the Israelites would have crossed. And at the mount where the, uh, where the, uh, uh, where the Ten Commandments were were given and where we'll be at most of today, there are there are carvings of cows on there. By the way, right below that rock that was uh, that that big rock that split in half, right below that, it's in the middle of the desert. The rocks below that have been smoothed out, like millions of water, gallons of water have been poured over those. It's very obvious that that was the place, and it is something you can see with your own eyes. All you've got to do is uh, 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 Google uh, something along the line. line of the real Mount Sinai, and you'll find it on YouTube. Don't do it now. Do it after church. Amen? Uh, but it's fascinating. And uh, as I went, I saw the video several months ago, I went back and watched it again this week, and my heart was just stirred to see the place where all of this took place. We'll read in a few moments how that 3,000 people were killed for their sin. They have found a mass burial site where about 3,000 people would have been buried just a couple of miles away from that mount. So, uh, the evidence just piles up and piles up. Anybody tries to tell you the Bible isn't true, there's a mountain of evidence that we find here on earth that says that it is true. We walk by faith, but there's always a whole lot by sight we can see. Amen? Uh, but Israel, Israel and God had this tight relationship. So then what happened next? Well, God calls Moses up into the mount. And he's going to give Moses the commandments, the law for the people. While he's up there getting the law, the people began to commit great sin. Look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. This relationship that Israel had with God fell apart pretty quick. Just within a few chapters of God committing to be their God and they committing to be the people of God, boy, Moses goes up in the mountain and their hearts are turned to mischief. Look at verse 1. 
And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Or we don't know, we don't, we don't know what's happened to him. Verse 2. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool. After that, he had uh, made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Look at verse 5. This is the most peculiar verse, I think, anywhere in the book of Exodus. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before this golden calf. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. What? Tomorrow is a feast to this golden calf. Where is the Lord involved in this? What an odd statement. Look at verse 6. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So Moses disappears in the mountain to walk with God. Uh, we know he was up there for about 40 days. He's 38 days in, 39 days in. And the people come to Aaron and say, Hey, you know, uh, we don't know what happened to Moses, but he's gone and we're tired of sitting around. Hey, uh, can you make for us a God? And, and, Aaron, and, and Aaron says, Hey, yeah, bring me your gold and I will make you a God. If you got to make God, then that's not God. okay? But um, he throws the gold in this furnace and he uses a tool and he shapes the gold into a golden calf and he sets this golden calf up on an altar and he says behold Israel the God that has delivered you from Egypt and the people turn their back on God and they begin to worship this golden calf now God's in heaven he's looking down on this right this right here he's looking down on this And right at the top of the cross, the people are gathering to worship a false idol. In essence, they're telling God, we don't need you anymore. Now, I'm sure that God felt like his son was being trampled on just a little bit. What do you think? The cross is there and they're worshiping another idol. Oh boy, that enraged God. Look down at verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Moses... Go get thee down. Look at here. For thy people, which thou hast brought, thou hast brought, out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on just a minute, God. Just a few chapters prior, you were saying these were my people. Now you're saying these are Moses' people. You ever, uh, you parents in here, your children ever done something, and you're like, go tell your son, da 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 da. That was what this was. God was saying, I don't own these children. They're acting in such a way, Moses, they're yours. I don't have anything to do with them anymore. And Moses chides God a little bit. Moses says to God, whoa, hold on here. You can't just drop fire out of heaven and and burn them all up. God wants to, and for sake of time, we're not going to read all of 32 and 33, but God wants to drop fire out of heaven and kill all of them and start over with Moses. And Moses says, well, hold on, God. You can't do that. Remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Remember uh, uh, re- remember the, the Egyptians that just saw their whole country get decimated so you can bring them out here? Are they going to turn around and say that you, you brought them in the wilderness to kill them in the mountains? 
You can't do that. And the Bible says that God repented of the evil that He thought to do to the Israelites. And so Moses leaps the mountain and on his way down, Joshua is waiting for him at sort of the halfway point. And Joshua thinks that there is war in the camp. He's too high up to be able to tell. Look at verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto them, There is noise of war in the camp. And he said, this is Moses speaking, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Hey look, if your music sounds like war, then your music is of the devil. Joshua is at a distance and he hears this crazy music. And he thinks that there's a war going on. And... And he says, no, no, that's not music. Or rather, that's not war, that's music. That's them, that's them celebrating as they dance around a false idol. Now, Moses is about to understand why God is so put out with the people. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass as soon as he, Moses, came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf in the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Hey Aaron, did they stick a gun to your head? Did they put a knife against your throat and say, Make this for us or we will kill you? And, and Aaron gives the most ludicrous answer. He says, I threw the gold in the furnace and out popped this calf all by itself. Would you look at there? Can you see Moses' eyes rolling in his anger? For sake of time, I'll recap the next several verses. As we just read, Moses took that calf and he, he put it in the furnace. He melted it. He turned it into powder. He put it in water and he made the Israelites drink their, their God. Then he stood up and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? 3,000, or rather the Levite men, the men of the Levite, the tribe of Levi, they came and stood shoulder to shoulder with Moses. And he said this, he said, Go throughout the gates of the camp and kill all of those that were involved in this rebellion. The Levites would go through and would kill 3,000 men by the edge of the sword. God was really put out with Israel. How much was God put out with Israel for their sin? On such a level that Moses had to go do some serious interceding for the Israelites. Look at verse number 30. This is the day after they have drunk the golden calf and 3,000 men have been killed and, and buried. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. And I, now will I go up unto the Lord. Perhaps, maybe, 
Possibly, pre-adventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. Verse 31, And Moses returned to the Lord and said, By the way, this is one of the most intimate prayers you'll find in the whole Bible. Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Do you notice the hyphen there after the word sin? There's two possibilities of what that hyphen means. Either the prayer was so private and sacred that God chose to not have Moses record it. Or Moses was so heartbroken over what had happened that he laid on his face and wept and didn't have words to say. You ever been there, Christian? You're praying along and you're so burdened over something in your life that there are no words to express how you feel. You just weep. Maybe you don't weep, but you're just overrun with emotion and you don't know how to quantify in words how you feel. Moses took a deep breath, I believe. And after a long break in his prayer, verse 32 continues, it says, And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Moses says, God, No, you're upset. God, I know you want to kill them and send them all to hell. He says, God, send me to hell in their place. He says, I love these people so much. I'd rather die and go to hell and see them be salvaged than for you to pour out your wrath on them. Israel had no idea that this prayer was prayed. This was a very private time for Moses. Verse 33, we see God's wrath is not appeased. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. I'm not going to blot your name out, Moses. Those that messed up, they're the names I'm going to blot out of the book. Therefore now go lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. On top of the 3,000 that were killed, God sent a plague throughout Israel, throughout the Israelites, and, 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 and many of them would die because of that plague. Moses sees that God's wrath is not appeased, and he knows he's got more work to do. Look at chapter 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence. Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed, will I give it. Don't miss this. This is the crux of the sermon. Please, please follow along in your Bible. Please don't just sit and stare. Look at verse 2. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a 
stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. What was God saying here? He was saying, I am so put out with Israel that I don't want to be with them anymore. He said, fold up the tabernacle and throw it away. I don't want to be there anymore. He said, I know I made a promise and I will keep my word. I will send an angel ahead that will destroy all of the inhabitants of the promised land so they can just go right in and take it. I will keep my promise, but I don't want to go with them. I don't want to have anything to do with these people anymore. Boy, Israel pushed God past His limits. He didn't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And boy, I think back to times in my life where I have just ca- very, with a cavalier spirit, walked through my Christian life, walked through being saved under the power of my own strength, living my life however I want to, walking in the flesh, living in the flesh, uh, attending church when I wanted to, and reading my Bible when I wanted to, and behaving how I wanted to, and shrugging my shoulders at conviction. And I think God looks down at me and says, those things in your life, you need to deal with them. And I just say, eh. Another day. Eh, later. Eh, not right now. And I wonder if God ever says, Hey, listen, I'm going to keep the promises I've made to you, but I don't want to walk with you anymore. Boy, God was so put out with Israel. Look at verse number 7. Moses would take drastic steps to get both Israel's attention And get God to come back to the table. Look at verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Afar off from the camp. And called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now I'm going to keep reading the verse in a minute. But please understand what happened here. You see where the, the tabernacle dwelled was right in the center of the cross. That's where God's presence was. By the way, if you're here today, that cross you see up on that screen right over here, that is a symbol of what Jesus, uh, who would come through the descendants of the people in that group, Jesus would come and die on the cross, and just like they had to go to the center of the cross in order to, 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 to walk with God, to spend time with God, you must come to the cross humbly. You must bow your knee. You must humble your heart so that God will save your soul. Moses took the tabernacle and he put it on the outskirts of town. The outskirts of the camp. Away from the cross. Symbolizing the fact that God didn't want to dwell in the midst of His people anymore. And Moses told the people, he said, If you want to spend time with God, then you're going to have to leave the camp. You're going to have to go out of your way to do it. Look back at verse number 7. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out under the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. So they're making a perimeter at the edge of the camp of Israel, and they're looking out at Moses as he's standing there at the tent door. Are you visualizing this this morning? And it came to pass, verse 9 says, as Moses entered the tabernacle, cloudy, uh, uh, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man 
in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Boy, a whole sermon could be preached out of this next part of the verse. We won't dwell on it this morning, but look at it. And he turned again into the camp, but but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. He said, I'm not going anywhere, God. I'm staying right here. I want your presence. Now we see the prayer Moses prays to get God to change his mind. Look at verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet hast thou said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Verse 14, and he, and God said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Moses says in verse 15, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not a pence. You know what he said? He said, hey, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then we don't want to go. We won't make this journey, God, unless we get to make it with you. Think back to the time, Christian, where you dropped the knee or you humbled your heart and you bowed your head and you prayed and you asked God to send down His salvation and remove your sins from your record and take your soul to heaven. Remember the day that He saved you. Remember how sweet that was. Remember how awesome that was. Remember the fellowship that you had. Remember the burden that was lifted off your shoulders. Now God has called you to walk a journey. Getting to know God in a passionate way. Oh, but we're so busy going from A to B. We're so busy uh, uh, making friendship with this person and and being entertained by this and and having uh, this over here and doing that over there. And we run through life and we get to the end of the day and we put our head on the pillow and we we haven't taken one moment to talk to our God. Oh, to have a group of people. Oh, to be a person myself that takes this attitude. Lord, it's not the destination I'm concerned with. It's the journey I'm concerned with. And it's who I walk with on the journey. Lord, if you're not going to go with me, then I don't want to go. If your Spirit is not leading me, Lord, I need to know. You have placed me here. I'll do Your will. Your love I'll try to show. But if Your presence is not going to go with me, And Lord, I don't want to go. You know, God is only going to let you push away from His presence so long until He just decides, okay. Yep, you're saved. You're not going to lose that. But for all their practical purposes, I'm done with you. Done with you. You say, Pastor, I'm there. Is there hope? Yeah, there is. You can throw yourself at the throne of grace. And you could tell God, I'm so sorry for having neglected you over and over again. I'm so sorry for having worshipped sin in my life. I'm so sorry for not having done my obeisance and due diligence to you that I ought to do. Lord, please let me find grace in your sight. And I believe God will pick up the journey. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinner, purify your hearts. Ye double-minded, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up.
Lord, today would you work in our hearts. Would you move in our midst. May the sermon stir us and not just know this in theory, but to live it in our everyday life. In Jesus' name. Can we just be real this morning? How many of you say, Pastor, I know what I need to do, but I know I'm not really living it consistently. Pastor, would you pray for me? Here's my hand. Here's my hand, Pastor. I know what I need to do. I'm not living it. I'm not walking in God's presence. I'm not begging for His Spirit to be dripping off me in everything I do. How many here today say, Pastor, I, I'm not even sure that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I've come to the cross and put my faith in Jesus to save me. Pastor, would you just pray for me right where I'm at, right here, right now? Is there one? I don't know. I don't know that. Christian, God created you to walk with you. He wants you to walk with Him. Are you doing that? Are you cavalier towards sin? Oh, to be like Moses and Joshua. Oh, to have a relationship with God where we talk to Him as though it's we're talking to Him face to face. Do you crave that? Lord, would you work in our hearts this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes and remember about the death, suffering on the cross, the resurrection from the dead. Lord, may we not be ashamed. Lord, may our hearts be pure. Move in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. The piano's playing. How about it this morning, Christian? God has spoken to your heart. Don't hesitate another minute.